Hello, everybody, and welcome along to episode 22 of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. ED editor Luke Nichols here, and uh, you probably recognise straight away that we're not in the uh, podcast studio. Uh, I'm not joined by the rest of the editorial team. Um, it's been a while since we were all last together, actually, but I am, in fact, in a, a relatively quiet bar in, in, in central London, just off Victoria Street. And this is for work purposes, I assure you, um, because we are this week uh, bringing you a very special episode in celebration of International Women's Day, which takes place on Wednesday, the 8th of March. Um, So the International Women's Day campaign is all about celebrating the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women uh, around the world. And the theme they're using this year is Be Bold for Change. And so, in this episode, we'll be bringing you three interviews with women who have been bold and helped to drive positive change, um, or actually been that change, in the sustainability and energy management spheres. So, our reporter, George, is up in Birmingham, where he'll be speaking with the energy manager for Network Rail. And our senior reporter, Matt, is stationed somewhere else in London, I believe, where he'll be talking to two founders of a sustainable events business. So the editorial team is is coming together virtually, uh, I suppose, um, for this episode, and it has fallen on me to open the show. Uh, And what better way to open the show than with another very special guest who has played a big role in, in, in beginning to drive gender equality and diversity in the energy sector in particular, Laura Sands, who many listeners may remember as the former MP for South Thanet um, and as a parliamentary private secretary at DEC for Greg Barker, um, which is now, of course, our base. So, Laura, hello. How are you? Sorry, it was a very long introduction. <laughs> Lovely to be here, Luke. Nice to see you again. Good. So, um, yeah, I think the last time we saw each other was at the ED Sustainability Leaders Awards, wasn't it, back in I January? And, and what an amazing event yeah, and yeah. so many great innovations. I mean, it was just a real diversity of innovation across lots of different sectors. It was. It was good, yeah. It was a, it was a fun night, I think, had by all that. <laughs> as, as, as our events go, I, I particularly did I'm enjoy I'm sure it one. went on much longer than I stayed <laughs> yeah, it there did, for. It did, yeah. Um, so before we get into discussing the issues about um, women and sustainability and energy management, I think it's probably best if we kick off this chat um, by talking a bit about you. And um, I mean, because you're, you're no longer uh, involved in politics as an MP, um, but you are still heavily involved in the energy and sustainability spheres. Um, I was having a look at the current roles listed on your website earlier, uh, and it's a long list. Um, so uh, maybe should we, should we start with your new consultancy, Challenging <laughs> yes. Ideas, it's called? What's the main focus of your work there? Um, from my commercial life and also political life, I sort of feel there are three sectors that are really quite on the back foot and quite old-fashioned and certainly not caught up with the whole sustainability agenda as they should. Mm. It's really food, energy and resources, i.e. waste. And I think there's something quite exciting about those three sectors and the transformation that they're going to be facing, Mm. whether it be due to sort of lack of resources, due to um, energy constraints, etc. And I think it's three areas that's got a lot of opportunity to really reboot their sustainability and their credentials in the areas that we're also interested in. Mm. And so um, it's fair to say you're coming at this then from, a, from, a, from the business perspective. Um, the, I guess in, in, in its name, it's, it's all about challenging ideas and challenging incumbents to, um, to adjust their business models. So, I mean, is it fair to say then across those areas, food, energy, resources, that you think businesses aren't necessarily moving fast enough and they aren't kind of challenging their own ideas in the way they should be? 
I think that there are possibly two or maybe 25 different speeds, but there's certainly two speeds. You know, we've got a lot of incumbent businesses who are trying very, very hard to change their business models. And some have been more successful than others, but they, they do have an incumbent problem holding them back. Mm. But then we've got these really exciting and dynamic new companies coming forward in these areas that were really dominated by some very large operators. And that's really energising and interesting and challenging. Mm -hmm. And there are two things that really I do. I work with young companies trying to break into those particular sectors. Mm -hmm. But then also support the incumbent companies to try and become more entrepreneurial, more technology-led, um, shape their proposition around consumers rather than supply. So the change between supply models and demand models. Okay. And has there been any kind of particular um, interesting businesses you've got to work with so far? You might not be able to name names if you're still working with them, but any particular sectors you're involved in that you think actually now you're working in it, you think it's, there's big potential? Well, I think that there's a lot of potential around the distributed energy sector, and I've got okay. three or four clients looking at changing their propositions from being very much sort of, not, not, I suppose, you know, mine is bigger than yours sort mm. of scene, to now I'm going to have a lot of multiple customers... I'm going to have to deliver in a different way and my whole service and technology platforms are going to have to become very consumer-centric. Mm. And that's been really exciting and I think it's energising the companies themselves, the mm. people who work in them, mm. to actually think differently about their customers and about what they're offering. Okay. And then looking a bit more broadly then, I mean... Are there any businesses you are particularly fascinated by, businesses you might cite when you're trying to inspire clients of your own or um, business people? Uh, is there anything at the moment that's kind of really caught your eye? I think I'm really excited by people who are looking at resource productivity and new business models around the circular economy. I'm excited about urban farms. Um, I'm really interested in how we're looking at and we need to look at carbon capture mm -hmm. and utilisation. So how do we capture carbon and reuse it in different ways, whether that be making polymers, whether it be reinforcing concrete. We've got to take a new look at carbon and say it's not that carbon is bad, it's just when it's bad when it's in the atmosphere. Mm. And I think there are some exciting products that are coming, emerging towards market um, in lots of different areas. Okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's quite a good time to be chatting with you, actually, and there's, there's a number of reasons that it's good to be talking with you, because uh, this month is also ED's um, Resource Management Month, so we're placing a big editorial focus on, on resource management and, and business model change and things. It's quite fitting, really, because, I mean, in, in 2017, we've seen so many companies making quite big announcements, particularly with relation to um, plastics. Um, we've seen, yes. you know, P&G, Sky have made some quite big announcements, um, sort of thinking of this off the top of my head we've had Costa Coffee making its announcements with regards to coffee cups um, had them on the podcast quite recently so yeah the, the month ahead should be quite an interesting one for us we go on quite deep into that I mean if you think about plastics um, I mean we should be able to reutilise and reshape and, and redesign a lot of plastic so that they can be remanufactured very effectively. The problem is is that um, we have old-fashioned 
thinking. Yeah. And it's great to see so many companies coming forward and sort of changing the way they think. Mm-hmm. And once they do that, actually, they end up making more money. Yeah, yeah. And um, branching out now into uh, another area of your expertise, um, it would be hard not to have a former MP here and, and, and someone that's been involved uh, with DEC and, and not discuss a little bit about um, some of the current sort of <laughs> green policy situation. So, I mean, now that you're you're on the outside looking in, I guess, I guess um, are, you, are you confident about the current regime, the current kind of setup that we have? I mean, the move from DEC to base was obviously quite a big one. We've got DEFRA's 25-year plan soon to come out. I mean, what's your, what's your current view on the state of green policy? It's a broad question. But. Well, I think that certainly the carbon reduction um, objectives under the um, custodianship of, of Nick Hurd could not be in better hands. Mm. Uh, Greg Clark really understands the value of the, um, the low-carbon economy. Um, and person who is quite surprising maybe for, for some of your listeners and that is Philip Hammond the mm. Chancellor of the Exchequer understands very much the value and the technology value of the green economy and I don't think one should underestimate how many people, they don't go necessarily around with you know, a sort of green badge on their lapels but who are absolutely committed to this agenda um, I think we've all got to do a lot to sustain that interest and to make sure that it's always at the top of the, their agenda. Um, but I feel that we've got some very committed ministers in place. That's interesting. It's, it's, that was, that's one that's been long talked about. It's been a big challenge previously, particularly in, in the days of, of, of DEC. Is it, that gap or divide between um, the, the, the Treasury, child, the treasury uh, yes. and, and these Green Minister? I, I think he's, he, he has a very different attitude, and I also think he's got a much more flexible and um, considered attitude to infrastructure. And that, I think, will actually deliver us some quite interesting opportunities. Mm. Also, remember that he was um, Department of Transport, and the move to electric vehicles has been... We've had one of the fastest um, and most committed ambitions to move to electric vehicles, and that was under um, under his leadership. Mm. So there's something interesting that's happening. People might not see it from just superficially, but if you just scrape a little bit further down... Uh, we've got some very good green uh, ministers. Mm. And last policy question, DEFRA's 25-year plan coming up. Um, yes. Are you optimistic about that? What are you hoping to see from that? I, I mean, one of the things that I'm excited about, about the industrial strategy, which does touch mm-hmm. On, mm-hmm. on DEFRA, is the um, absolute focus on resource productivity. Mm. I mean, it's been really, really key. Mm. And resource productivity, they're working, Bayes and DEFRA are working very closely together on this. And when we start to look at the waste agenda, I mean, I don't know what Brexit means to waste, but we're not going to be able to, I bet you we're not going to be able to export quite as much as we have been to date. Yeah. So we're going to have some real challenges that um, I think that the industrial strategy is trying very hard to, to address. Mm. Well, there we go. We mentioned the B word, but we won't go. We won't go any further into talking no. about that. So, um, <laughs> enough of politics. Now, uh, I did mention that. Um, yeah, it's a big list of roles and duties that you have now, um, because you're also, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a visiting senior fellow at King's College London. Um, That's right. Chair of the Food Foundation, independent think tank examining uh, the food system. An advisory group member of the Carbon Tracker Initiative. That's a, that's one we've written about a few times on idiots, aimed at um, enabling a, a climate secure um, global energy market. 
Um, so there's a lot that we could talk to you about, Laura. We could probably have you on this episode uh, entirely, I think. But um, I did want to talk to you about <laughs> sure your you other. Want to. No, <laughs> I did. I did want to talk to you about your other your other key role, which is um, as co-founder of um, Powerful Women. Um, now tell us a little bit about that then. I mean, how did you become involved and what, what's the organisation all about? Right, so the wonderful Sandy Verma, who was the um, Baroness in the House of Lords, who was the Minister for DEC, and I kept on going into meetings and finding that we were the only women in the meetings um, across the energy sector. And actually, um, there are some fabulous women and and they're all part of this great group that that we've all sort of helped to shape. But there is a problem in the energy sector about the lack of women, um, not just at the board level, but it's at the um, executive level. And we believe with many other great people, there's Ruth Carney, who's chairman of Powerful Women, who used to be at Shell, some excellent people. But we are there to mentor young women coming through the system in the energy sector and to ensure that their bosses, and to be frank, they're frequently men, are told that they need to understand that diversity is actually a huge strength to their business model, not just a tick box exercise and particularly as as we've been saying Luke you know the business model for the energy sector is changing if it's changing it needs new people it needs new ideas and diversity of ideas and I think a business is resilient if it can draw on all its skills and that's why we set up powerful women to shake up those guys and get them to understand that they need a bit more gender balance. So how are you measuring success? Do you have set targets? or We have a lot of women who are in middle management who are being mentored by um, senior women in the energy sector. Okay. Um, we have regular events with chief executives of energy companies mm-hmm. and either commend them or give them a hard time depending on how their progress has gone Um, so we're very much uh, engaged with supporting and cajoling I think it's a double double edged sword okay and are you are you measuring percentages of women on on boards or or looking at it that way or is that not the right way Um, well no I mean we've set some very clear objectives and that is is that we need to increase at board level and increase at executive committee level but actually those are targets what we need to be doing what our aim is is to support people into those targets and we've always had very strong ministerial support for this um, and I'm sure the Prime Minister would also endorse this particular activity so we feel we've got we've got the right people in the right places maybe that's one for a future podcast episode we'll see if we can get the Prime Minister (laughs) on Um, where do the problems lie with this then I mean um, is this a systemic issue across industry is it an educational issue does it go back before that I mean um, I mean obviously there have been less women who have decided to go into energy as a um, as a career choice Um, so that's right at the very very entry point but then what's happening is that um, for all sorts of strange reasons not to do with discrimination per se but just lack of understanding um, we women either fall out or 
find themselves not promoted as they should be. Mm. I mean, it is changing quite dramatically. You know, we've got a chairman of Shell who's a woman now. We've got, you know, um, chief executive of Drax. But we need to do more. And so um, we're there to support those young people who are looking ambitiously at our sector. And do you think this is something that's quite energy specific within the sustainability sphere or do you see this happening much more broadly across the sustainability? Strangely enough, the sustainability dimension of the energy sector has quite a lot of women and very, very impressive and powerful um, women at that. Um, It's more the engineering side and if you look at manufacturing and engineering, um, we're all in the same boat with actually finding it difficult to attract young women right at the very beginning of their careers and then sustain them throughout. Mm. I mean, there was a very funny situation where um, women didn't used to be allowed to um, stay on oil rigs. So as engineers, they would always have to be landbound. Um, somebody told me a funny story about a young woman, a very talented young woman, was not promoted to run the Japanese office of their company because um, they didn't feel that it was appropriate for them to spend time in so-called bars in Tokyo with Japanese men, with um, sort of girls and all the sort of un, you know cultural things that people get up to. So there are lots of reasons why women have found that ceilings and barriers mm, mm. Um, and we're there to break them down and you said that things are going in the right direction I mean um, it's a bit of a million dollar question then but I mean how are we going to get it to that point where those percentages are at equal levels and things are more diverse? I, th- I think it's happening slowly too slowly at the moment um, I, I can't give you a date but I can say to you that um, my word, I've met some really, really impressive middle management women who are absolutely committed to get to the top mm. and we'll do everything we can to support them. Okay, so what would be your kind of your key message then for, for big business um, across industry when it comes to increasing gender equality? Is it as simple as high, look at hiring more, more women? Does, it, does, does certain things need to be well, put in place? I or? mean, certainly the impact the introduction into a career you've got to be more focused Mm. on those apprenticeships on those uh, university um, graduates that you're getting into your company you've got to start looking very clearly at gender balance but then it's post that that also matters and that is about finding um, those young ambitious young people it's not really being gender orientated but looking at creating diverse teams and if your team is just, you know, a vanilla, one-size-fits-all, you're not going to be getting the best for your business. Mm. So start broadening your horizons and looking a bit wider. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, plowed through my questions there. But uh, like I said, Laura, I mean, we could, uh, we could probably take up this whole episode of the podcast talking to you here. But um, I'm aware that we've got more, more interviews to bring our listeners. Um, and so I'm going to hand over now to our reporter, George who, as I said earlier, is up in Birmingham at our Energy Management Conference, um, because we're going to take this conversation on now to, um, to speaking with someone who has actually managed to, to carve out a successful career in energy management, Wendy Wheeler, who is the Energy and Carbon Strategy Manager at Network Rail. So anyway, George, over to you. 
Yes, thank you, Luke. And uh, from London, we go to Birmingham for the second part of our Sustainable Business Covered podcast. And I'm here now at the Energy Management Conference, uh, joined by Wendy Wheeler, who is the Energy and Carbon Strategy Manager at uh, Network Rail. How are you, Wendy? I'm good, thank you. And uh, what your thoughts been on today so far, then? I think it's been excellent. There's been some really good speakers. and I'm not including myself in that. Um, but yeah, there's been some really interesting insights actually into the different challenges of an energy manager and um, some of the tools and um, activities that can can help you move things forward. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And talking about uh, challenges of an energy manager, I think uh, none face it more so than yourself. I was just uh, listening to your uh, chat there and th- thinking about network rail. It's just nationwide huge um, operation where you've got this aging infrastructure, old data management, uh, 37,000 staff. Um, Perhaps you could just talk about the sheer complexities that you face uh, in your job. Yeah, it is quite complex um, and I do like a challenge. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a a large national organisation that... um, has at least 10,000 energy supplies that, that need to be managed in, 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 a, in a, a really decent way and that in itself is a challenge. Um, there's lots of um, sharing of supplies with the train operating companies so at least even understanding that um, the, the total energy use is difficult because some of those shared areas aren't metered so it's it's a challenge but it's, it's improving um, very quickly and it's it's enjoyable. Mm. So uh, I'm right in saying you've been there for since 2014. Late 2014, so. I started in Network Rail. Yeah. That's right. And um, when you got there, you were told that the targets for carbon reduction were was it 11 percent? 11 percent over a five-year period. Yeah. Yes. And first year wasn't uh, it wasn't as easy as you first uh, anticipated it to be. It wasn't. Um, so the, the the first year, by the time I arrived at Network Rail, the first year had already passed, and um, we uh, Network Rail had um, acquired some uh, new managed stations. So we'd brought um, new big infrastructure items into the portfolio, um, and we'd been doing a lot of um, infrastructure projects uh, that that use a lot a lot of energy. So. Um, yeah, our emissions had increased in the first year, so we had a bit more of a challenge than the 11%. But uh, we started to swing that around now, and um, we're starting to make some really good progress. Mm. So talk to me about that progress. How has it come about? Um, it's been pretty much engagement and, and getting the business to understand their energy uses um, and uh, in, in devolving um, the responsibility, really, so that more and more at the point of use that people are thinking about the energy that's being used um, there's an awful lot more to do but at least we've started on that journey and it's it's reaping its rewards already mm, mm. and so we're talking about embedding that culture of smart energy management and it's breaking down those barriers in terms of actual your job itself we i know you work um you're an active member of the Energy Managers Association. I am, right? yes. And uh, I was staggered to find that um, I think it's only 7% uh, of the energy managers are actually uh, women. Yes. It's so, a subject quite close to my heart, really, because um, as a, a, a woman working in this sector, it's very male-dominated, and it's it's a lot better than it used to be now, but certainly in my early days of working in energy management, um, 
it was very difficult as a woman to to make the impact that we needed to make and um, certainly quite a few years ago now but I would receive telephone calls and people wouldn't talk to me because I was a girl um, and wouldn't believe I was the energy manager because I was a girl um, and I just think it's it's such a shame that there are not more women in energy management because it's such a fulfilling job and it is you need to be multitasking all of the time and you need to be multifaceted and I think that women are particularly um, particularly well suited to energy management because of that you know you've got to be I, I wrote an, um, an, an article um, called um, Jackie of all trades and master of none because you've got to be a lot of different you've got to be good at a lot of different things and not an expert in anything really. Mm. So I believe you've been in the sector for about 25 years, am I, is that, mm, am I yes. that? So what, what was it that first attracted you to the energy management sector? To be honest, I fell into it. Um, and it was simply, I've never, um, I never decided to, to go into energy management. Um, it was, it started to become a part of my job when I was... A, just a technical assistant for a maintenance team and um, the energy manager at the time um, needed some help with uh, recording little bits and bobs and dare I say it at that time we, we were writing down consumption on paper um, to track it <laughs> because that's how old I am oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and then it just continued from there and, and at the, the organisation I was at at the time, you know, we put in the first computerised energy management system and it just hooked me. It's just something that I'm really interested in and I can't necessarily say what necessarily it is, but it's, it's very, very satisfying. You're able to see the, the, the rewards of the work that you've done quite easily and it's, that's really satisfying. Mm. So, yeah, clearly uh, a woman who has been able to break the barriers, this, hence why we're having this conversation now. Um, but it's interesting, we're here at the Energy Management Conference, and I was, I was looking at the speakers, and I could, well, I couldn't count off the top of my head, but the vast majority were male. Yeah. Um, and then, I think there are just two of us speaking today, two ladies. Mm, and I don't think it's anything to do with Edie. I think it's just this, this is just the sector as a, as a whole. It's just yeah, I think it's just representative of, of the industry. And it's quite, it is still quite male-dominated. But, and then we have, we look, I look in May and we have our um, sustainable reporting conference. And that's vastly female. Yes. And, and I just st- start to think, why is it? Surely it's not like a natural thing where... Uh, women are aligned to one sector and males are aligned to others. What is it? Is it this misconception that um, males should? Be... I, th- I think it's it's history more than anything else. I think energy managers um, have become energy managers because they've moved on from something else, and generally they have been engineers or facilities managers, and they are male-dominated roles. And I think if those individuals have moved on into energy management, um, the majority of them have been male and perhaps that's why. Um, I think that the sustainability sector is a lot more even, if not um, more leaning towards uh, more women, but um, that's the only reason that I can think that it is. And I think there is a perception that energy management is more technical um, and therefore it, it needs that 
traditional technical background, if you like, and that's where the, the, the male influence comes from, but that's not necessarily the case. I don't have a technical background mm. at all. Um, if I need technical in intervention, I know who to get to that will get me that, but to be an energy manager or um, certainly at, at a strategic level, it's not necessary to be particularly technical. Mm. And um, you mentioned in your in your role at the EMA, uh, you have like a special project. What were you trying to improve the representation of mm. female participation in the sector? Could you expand on that? Sort of what what it is exactly? That um, yeah, it's it's just um, it's it's a a small project to try and encourage women into the sector and to stay in the sector. Mm. Um, and what we offer through that is networking um, so we get we have events where an awful lot of women who are either in the energy management sector or trying to get into the energy management se sector can come along and talk to others discuss with the peers um, but also we offer a mentoring service so that um, again if we've got somebody who's trying to to break into the sector and we can we can help them we can mentor them um, and actually we get as much out of that as the mentees do because mm. there's always something to learn, which again is, is why I love the job really. Mm. There's always something new to learn. And fascina uh, fascinating. If you had, um, so I suppose lastly, if, if you're a tip for a, for a, a young woman trying to enter the sector, what, what, would, you, what would your tip be? Um, be confident um, and don't take no for an answer. Don't take, you're just a girl. Mm. for an answer um, because they're more than capable in, in terms of um, certainly doing what I do um, yeah don't take no for an answer thanks very much Wendy thank you thanks so this takes us on to the next section of our podcast where we're moving from an event about sustainability to sustainable events and I believe Matt is joined back down south by Ruth Weldon and Selena Donald both co-founders of the Bulb a sustainable events company so over to you Matt well, thank you very much for that introduction, George, and that's true, I am indeed uh, joined by Selena and Ruth um, with me right now. Um, thank you very much for inviting me down to your, your rather swanky looking um, offices, and I'll be sure to come back to that in a minute. I've been been told on the walk up here, it's it's pretty a sustainable office. But first, I'd like to start um, just giving our listeners a bit of insight about you two, um, you know, what you do with um, The Bulb, as I've been informed to call it, because there is another B Corp around here with a similar name. Um, so what you what you do and how you kind of got into setting up the Bulb as a sustainable events agency? Yeah, so we, um, myself and Selena, um, we met um, a fair few years ago um, at university actually and um, we uh, worked at the ITV events team, um, the Interland events team and we decided um, that we were getting to that sort of 30-something age and that we wanted to branch out from um, a big corporate environment and the natural um, progression was to set up the Bulb um, our passion for sustainability, our passion for the environment was the natural, the natural fit to um, set the bulb up um, and we, are, we deliver creative events with low impact to the environment um, and it is a passion for us to um, deliver events sustainably, um, we're both vegetarian um, and uh, Selena um, had a, a huge impact, um, yeah. she'll talk to you a little bit now about the 2012 and the Olympics yeah, so um, going back back to 2010, I started work on the London 2012 ceremonies, so the opening closing mm -hmm. ceremonies, and was part of the sustainability committee for those ceremonies. 
and just over the two years leading up to the ceremonies realised how we were going to create the most sustainable Olympic ceremonies ever and just the different ways that that is actually possible and what it really highlights to me at that point was that the events industry is so wasteful that everything is created it's chucked away it's it's not, you know, we're not reusing staging, we're not looking at food waste, we're not looking at energy, mm. we're not looking at a legacy of an event. Um, and it really stayed with me, it had a huge impact on me. And then, like we've said, we then were, you know, doing our own thing, rejoined together as like friends and colleagues at ITV. And mm. um, with Ruth also having a similar interest, we both just started chatting one night that the ball, you know, why not use that experience? And again, we were like quite put off by like the old-fashioned ways of producing events you know by doing that sort of not thinking about the impact of events and we just don't see that there's there's any reason why you shouldn't mm. so um so then the board was born yeah um and you know it's been all go since then and we, we just heard from um, George and, and Wendy Wheeler and, and one of the key advice she had for, um, I suppose, um, young people regardless of, of gender getting into this um, industry is, is to be confident. So how, how did you two match your kind of passion for the environment and your ideas with the confidence to kind of branch out and, and set up this company? Wow, I think um, it's, you know, setting up, starting a business is a massive leap of confidence mm-hmm. in yourself and each other. And I think we support each other. You know, having known each other for so many years, we can support each other and give each other confidence. And, you know, when you have a bad day, I have a good day. When I have a bad day, Ruth has a good day. So it's... And I think... I think know, it's being in, yeah. in um, constantly communicating with one another and just making sure that, um, you know, every day, you know, the, the line of communication is always really, really, really good. Um, and... I suppose, you know, Celine's sort of hit the nail on the head, really. It's supporting each other, mm. um, being creative with our ideas, not being afraid to talk um, about, you know, really ridiculous ideas that, um, you know, we think are ridiculous, but actually make a really good event. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just constantly sort of, um, yeah, supporting one another. And we've been really lucky. We've got some brilliant mentors, like really brilliant. You know, one from The Guardian, a couple from the events industry, people in uh, you know the ethical fashion industry all who really believe in what we're doing and that's given us the confidence that people out there want to see sustainable events agency that there is a market and a and a want and a need for this and that things have got to change and you know i do think that we are trailblazing that there isn't many agencies out there that are doing what we're doing and um sometimes that is a bit scary but we're really excited and i think yeah like we said i think it's what you said earlier with our passion mm. you know that is like it's almost cheesy to say but we be we believe in what we're doing so much mm-hmm. that it sort of gives us a confidence to do it and then I suppose to also that confidence helps with like you said those ideas um on the way up I walked past London Met um, University mm. um their their energy manager won won our kind of energy manager of the year awards last month and I, I spoke to her prior to it and she said having ideas is you know the key in this area there is no such thing as a bad idea as long as you can have confidence and you can set out the frameworks for it um but with that in mind um the events agency um there's there's a couple of i'm sure high profile events that you have kind of put together so you mentioned the olympics and, and that kind of almost wasteful legacy that you kind of saw there how have the events these kind of high profile events that you've introduced differed to kind of change that course um so i think it's like for the olympics like the legacy from that was huge in the fact that mm. we did create the most sustainable events ever and oh, it really course, yeah. gave the platform for showing that events can be sustainable. Mm. Um, and we've taken so many learnings from that, haven't we? Mm. 
So we've produced two really powerful events this year. Um, one is the International uh, Parity at Work Observance Day um, event that we did. We did the launch. That's all about um, equality in the workplace, which is something we feel really passionate mm -hmm. about. Um, and then the second one is Vivian Westwood Say Switch at Fabric, which is all about encouraging people to switch to a green energy supplier. Um, and then I think, you know, the... Yeah, and what was so amazing after that event um, and creating a legacy for that event was within four days, 40, um, 40 people switched from their normal energy supplier to um, Ecotricity, the green supplier that we were supporting, mm. um, which is just fantastic. Um, so the message obviously got across, um, which is what we were obviously hoping for. Yeah, um, yeah and that, that event in itself was just such a powerful message um, to everyone. And it was um, obviously filmed live, so it was brought into a lot more people um, than those that attended the event. Yeah, I think the last time we looked at ID Magazine, who broadcast it live by Facebook, it was 150,000 people had watched oh, wow. it. So that's, you know, that message is getting to a wider audience, which is something that we're really keen to make sure all of our events do and for us events we we left a big corporate and churning out corporate events to do events that have a bit more of a purpose that sort of are platforms for inspiring change even if it's micro um you know it does lead to a macro change eventually and you know and you know just engaging with our audience a bit more not just churning out champagnes and cocktails yeah. you know and and canapes mm. right mm. it's just about engaging with people with a message and invoking conversations and getting getting things moving towards a bit more of a sustainable and um, Luke, uh, our editor, was talking to um, Laura Sands at the beginning of this podcast. And one of the key things she said that she was interested in focusing on are um, incumbents and disruptive new businesses coming in who kind of change the role of consumers to make them more almost prosumers engaged in the actual cycle of it. What kind of role does a sustainable events team have in pushing this sustainability agenda towards a kind of mass consumers? Do you want me to pick this one? Yeah. So... I, I really think, so when we're thinking about the brands that we want to work with, the main thing is that events are a really public statement about how those brands represent themselves. Mm -hmm. It's the way they engage with their consumers. So us put, going into a brand and working with them to put on their event to engage with their consumers, that should be sustainable if that's what the brand's values are about. You know, you can't sit there and say you're a sustainable brand, so... Let me choose an example, Ben and Jerry's. If they put on a vent and then they had loads of food waste and they chucked away their mm -hmm. staging and they printed everything, then what message does that give to their consumer? It doesn't follow through their message. So I think you can set an example via an event. You can showcase, like, we can do this sustainably. You can serve, like, for instance, in Vivian Westwood, we took out every piece of plastic, single-use plastic and fabric, and replaced it with recycled cups, mm -hmm. which we then encouraged people to take home and reuse. So it was about showcasing that, you know, single-use plastic isn't good, which is another conversation entirely. But, like, also giving messages to consumers about the way that you run your event. And it can be small small messages like that. You know, the, the message of the Vivian Westwood event wasn't about single-use plastic, but it's a small, conscious um, decision that mm -hmm. we made, which will then resonate with that audience as well. Um, so I think you can use your events to give message, your overall company message but then also showcase and you know yourself as a leader in being sustainable as well does that answer the question yeah I, I think it does it's it's a way of connecting the um 
I suppose the loyal consumer base that will show up to these events with the and not necessarily the main issue, like you said, plastic yeah. wasn't the main issue of the Vivian Wesley thing, but it was branching out to another area of sustainability that these consumers may not have been aware of, although, I mean, plastic waste is, is certainly growing in prominence, but yeah, yeah definitely. I, I, yeah, I think, and I think um, with every event that we do, we always give our client a report at the end, mm-hmm. um, and we we really picked up um, the, the, report, the reporting that we did at the end of the Vivian Westwood event was that um, a lot of the feedback was um, highlighted the paper cups, so people did notice it. People yeah. did go away and go, do you know what? That's we. I haven't had plastic tonight. And mm. so Celine's right, that wasn't the message. But those little elements that you put into an event um, are, don't go unnoticed. Definitely. Yeah. And the the wider scope of this podcast is obviously about um, you know women embarking in, in roles in sustainability. Um, and whether or not it's a challenge, I and my le- very limited knowledge of, of this would suggest that it's an, an area that's perhaps slightly more enabling than some of the more traditional firms because it is a relatively um, new sector, I suppose. Sustainability as a buzzword only came around 15, 20 years ago and the, the jobs born out of it, similar time frame. And so I, I'm interested to hear about your journey from, from this idea into, I mean, if we can just take a quick look to appreciate the office you're in now, you, you were saying that it's kind of made from like recyclable materials, there's green yeah. there's green plants all yeah. over the place, um, and it's it's filled with kind of people all of like similar age, like minded um, ideas and, and yeah. stuff. So um, it kind of builds on that confidence question. How how did you go and build this company up and, and did you kind of meet any resistance in in the way because you are two women or was that part of the strength of it? I think um I think that's part of the strength mm. of it you know we are very confident um you know young women that um you know our message is very clear um you know we set the ball up um because um we wanted to um do something um away from big corporate we wanted to do something for ourselves mm-hmm. um being a woman for me didn't have any part in it at all um or and we've never had any um restriction on our no no we've never had, no one's ever really commented that we're two women but I mm-hmm. think uh, only in a sense of it being a positive thing yeah. yeah so we've been so there's certain companies that we've targeted to work with who are also female-led mm. and there's sort of an alliance and a um and a, a sort of got your back girl boss sort of element to it I guess <laughs> like you know like <laughs> yeah but that's like the sort of thing that you know women are sort of taking a more of a forward platform in like becoming leaders CEOs creating their own companies and I think it's only going to get stronger with more people like standing forward and being more vocal you know started with like Sheryl Sandberg doing the whole lean in Mm -hmm. and it sort of escalated from there um and we're massive massive advocates um in in pushing that message forward Mm -hmm. we've been involved in um, an event called Future Girl Corp Mm -hmm. which is all you know we spoke to a hundred young girls who all want to set up their own businesses and it was about inspiring them and showing them someone on a stage who they can relate to you know it's not all these people in suits that they have no idea who they are where they've come from they can't relate to them it's people like me and Ruth who absolutely have the same life story as many of the girls in that audience and have shown them that we can go out on our own and set up a business and you know we don't we don't need you know we, we don't have investors it's just Ruth and I mm-hmm. you know we're we're the accountant the legal team the PR team the marketing team the business team and I think it's really important to know all of that information and just be knowledgeable and have that expertise as well. 
Um, and that, that, that then brings you confidence, mm. knowing all of that. So, you know, that, that then gives you confidence if you go out there and you commit to learning and being an expert in what you do. And I think that's where we're at, really. I think I went on a tangent. Yeah, I, said, you had to <laughs> I went on a real tangent. Yeah, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get my door out and yeah. burn it away. I mean, I mean the, the, passion, the passion there definitely does, does shine through, which yeah. I think is such a, a key area everyone I've spoken to in this industry. Yeah. The the vibe of pickup is if you're not passionate about it, you're you're Why not going it? to be yeah you're not going to be successful in it. Oh, listen, we do 17, 18 hour days, seven days a week. Mm. Sometimes, if we weren't passionate about it, we'd be having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know that's all we really really think about, and it actually you know I think yesterday you had to force me to go into a brunch with my friends when I was like but I just want to work, <laughs> but like that is so sad. But it just shows how much we really believe in what we're doing. Um, and then we might not have any friends soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always events, isn't it? You can always, you can always yeah, make yeah, friends yeah, at, yeah. at the yeah, events. Please, please, everyone, come and hire us yeah. and let's do your events and please be our friends at the same time. <laughs> That's, um, it, it's, it's a really interesting um, set play. And in, in terms of the future of, of this kind of sphere, um, is there anything that you would like to see see change that kind of help help your causes further or...? I mean, you mentioned the, yeah. these groups you're putting together to, to promote the idea that these young professionals can get into this industry. I, can I start this one? Because I think you're, I, my mindset, what I think about this question, I think you will have lots to say as well. Um, for us, like, the major thing um, that we really see, so I guess going back a step, before we spent a lot of time and money into creating our sustainability manifesto and our strategy and the targets we're going to work to, we looked wider at the UN Sustainable Business Goals and we thought about the ones that we, we really relate to and that are applicable to us, which is zero food waste, materials and production, and gender inequality. And gender inequality and climate change and sustainability all go really hand in hand. Mm. And that's something that we both feel really passionate about, that we, nothing on a, like, a wider scale can actually change until we tackle like those issues. And then it sort of filters through down to people like us working in sustainability so like we know that climate change and gender inequality are completely interlinked. Mm-hmm. That you know women and children are more likely to be affected by climate change. What was that stat you told me? Yeah, earlier? the Bangladesh cyclone. Ninety percent of the um, the people affected, I think there's over one hundred fifty thousand, were women oh, wow. and children, and um, because they go out and, and sort the shelter, mm. they they go and do the you know get the water, and the food, um, get their fuel. And unfortunately, you know, in the poorer countries, then they are the, the target. You know, they're the ones, yeah, most affected. You know, like, that's ridiculous. 90% of mm. the people that died were women. And that just says it in, in itself, you know, was that because they don't know how to swim, no mobile phones to call for help, they're at home with children and elderly, mm. they've got heavier clothes on. So, you know, like, you know, all of that leads to, like, you know, those like almost gender discrimination of climate change Hmm. um and i think for us just tackling those issues and thinking about how do women like influence the big policies and the decision makers at the paris agreement and all the climate change plans that are happening in every single country are they being consulted is does it actually work all the plans that are happening um, we just read this morning about 76 women who were going to the Antarctic mm-hmm. um, on the first ever female-led expedition, um, all work in science, all about encouraging more women in STEM, mm. and all with the view that the Antarctic is the key area where we're seeing the most effects of climate change. 
and for women to go understand it become experts and be able to then go and inform these policymakers on what works for women and I think you can't really tackle one issue without tackling that issue as well mm. and that's something that we're, we're really passionate about you know we want to work with loads of different agency likes women's global call for climate justice people like that who UN women mm. who the heat oh, she campaign and Emma Watson is such an advocate isn't she yes yeah, absolutely amazing um and so I think like if we start tackling those issues at a macro level then it sort of filters down to our level like you said earlier about the gender pay gap yeah when you look at the last world economic forum gender pay gap report the UK was number 28. Wow. Like, how is that possible? When we're one of the leading countries in the world, and Rwanda, uh, Nicaragua, which I can never say, the Philippines were before us, mm. which we look at them as developing countries. So how is, how is it that women are leading the way in sustainability, um, but are being paid, what did you say, 11,500 yeah, um, £11, pounds less? A survey in our readers found, yeah, it's yeah, 11,500 pounds on average, on less, and... Um, then the higher up the the job rankings go, the bigger that pay gap gets. So yeah, it's it's weird to view yourself as a developed country when yeah. when when like you said those uh, Philippines and stuff are, are above us now. So, but it's really interesting that thing you mentioned about almost giving a a, a persona and a personality to to the victims. I I think there's a danger of especially when you flip through company CSR reports and they're like we've helped X amount of cocoa farmers out there. It, it's kind of abandon all these people who, who do have different needs and, and stuff under the same kind of thing of like, we're helping a community out where there is individual aspects I think that need to be tailored yeah. to there yeah definitely 100% um, that's that's kind of um, all, all we really wanted to, to cover today it's been, it's been a I feel like I've got my high horse <laughs> no no definitely not <laughs> <laughs> no, it was um, it was it was really fascinating to to listen to, and I'm I'm sure our our, our listeners will will enjoy it just as much. And um, in regards to that, that's that's all we're bringing you this week um, for the podcast. Three really insightful um, chats across three different sectors of sustainability sphere. Next week, I believe we're back with um, a resource efficiency month special for you, those of you that are aware on our website. We have been um, writing um, certain articles and features all geared towards resource efficiency this month. So it would be interesting to see what we can bring you um, next week. And that is all from Edie's podcast this week. Goodbye. Goodbye.